KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. The San Diego City Council on Thursday, in a 5-4 to four vote, rejected a motion to move forward with the terms of a multi-billion dollar energy franchise deal. The motion would have determined how the city would allow utilities to bid for the chance to serve the city's electricity and gas needs. Council members who voted no said they wanted to see amendments like inclusion of a climate equity fund. City attorneys said they need time to review the request. Council member Vivian Moreno of District 8 said she's not going to wait. Well, we've already been through this during environmental committee meeting where I did ask for staff to work with me and nothing was done. So based on that, I'm I'm sorry I cannot vote yes on this motion. The council will now have to consider this motion after a month-long recess. While most students in California will have another semester of distance learning this fall, some younger kids could return to class in person. The state is allowing elementary schools to apply for waivers to bring students back to the classroom, even if the county is being monitored for elevated transmission of the coronavirus. Outbreaks have been linked to summer camps and daycares in other states, but State Health Secretary Dr. Mark Golley says California won't make those same mistakes. And that's why we study them so closely. You see when activities are um, held indoors without face coverings, when activities that are much better done outdoors, no doubt, or avoided at all, uh, happen indoors, you see transmission. Gali recommended keeping in-person learning to groups of eight students or smaller, but local health officials will have the final say over elementary schools' plans. Two men who attacked Black Lives Matter protesters in Imperial Beach are facing felony charges. 38-year-old Jeffrey Brooks and a relative, 32-year-old Henry Brooks, are charged with felony assault and battery along with hate crime-related charges. Warrants have been issued for their arrest. Along with getting justice for those who were attacked, District Attorney Summer Steffen says she's also sending a message to the community about hate crimes. It kind of has a ripple effect of hurting everyone that shares that person's race, their religion, their ethnicity. The charges stem from a Black Lives Matter protest held on June 7th across from the pier in Imperial Beach. Video shows a man, Jeffrey Brooks, coming up behind Marcus Boyd and sucker punching him while Boyd was recording video. The hate crime allegations are because Boyd is African American. If convicted, Jeffrey Brooks faces up to three years in prison, Henry Brooks up to six years. I'm Annika Colbert, filling in for Kinsey Moreland. It's Friday, August 7th, and you're listening to San Diego News Matters from KPBS News. Stay with me for more of the local news you need to start your day. KPBS On Demand is supported by... Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. 
Some residents in Ocean Beach are concerned about what they see is a lack of respect for COVID-19 guidelines by beach visitors. They say for weeks now, large groups have been partying on a small patch of grass by the OB Pier. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman has our story. The weekly gatherings biggest on Wednesdays often include a drum circle. They haven't been practicing any kind of social distancing or mask wearing at all, and the community is quite frankly really fed up with it. OB Town Council President Mark Winkie wrote a letter to city and county officials pleading for help about the gatherings, and on Wednesday night San Diego police were at the scene. A spokesperson says no one was cited for violating state or county health orders. The department is trying to find a solution that respects both sides. And it was actually very well received in the community that they did come out and took care of the issue. But that's really the band-aid. Councilmember Jen Campbell is hoping the Ocean Beach Main Street Association, who puts on the Wednesday Farmers Market, can work with the Drum Circle Group to safely operate. She says the crowds on Wednesdays have gotten out of control. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News. California Assembly members have joined forces to pass a first-of-its-kind bill for survivors of police brutality. KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne has this story. Assembly Bill 767 is about getting money from the state's victim compensation fund. Right now, crime victims, including victims of police brutality, have to file a police report to get any compensation. But victims' rights advocates say fear from the trauma prevents victims from filing police reports. Tanish Hollins is California director of the group Crime Survivors for Safety and Justice. No victim should have to fight for justice and fight for resources. AB 767 will eliminate the police report requirement and would allow other documentation to serve as evidence. Authors of the bill include San Diego Assemblywoman Shirley Weber. Tanya Thorne, KPBS News. San Diegans living on the edge of the city's canyons are getting some help preparing for wildfire season. The Urban Corps is using a $150,000 grant from San Diego Gas and Electric to help people clear defensible space near their homes. The Urban Corps member Daniel Johnson says the work is crucial as the weather heats up. We are looking to remove uh, any extra brush, any excess brush. Uh, any excess plant life uh, that isn't a, a specialty plant or anything like that. Uh, but any type of excess flammable material uh, we're removing to create this defensible space. 94-year-old Lucille Chang says she's grateful to get the help clearing brush near the back of her home. We can still have a fire, but I just know it can't come that close to my house now because my brush is cleared. She says she'll sleep a little sounder knowing the risk of fire has been pared back. The pandemic has been a crushing blow for many small businesses across the country. Billions of dollars in loans and grants have been allocated under the Paycheck Protection Program to help them. But is the money getting to the right places? Danny Fitzgerald is the acting regional director for San Diego and Imperial County's Small Business Development Center. He says the deadline to apply for one major source of money is this Saturday. Fitzgerald says there's a lot of money left and, despite a tight deadline, there's still time to apply. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Allison St. John. Here's that interview. So now this week is the deadline on some of the federal loans available for small businesses. 
How much money remains to be distributed in San Diego? It's a national distribution, and there's still a little over $110 billion left from the Paycheck Protection Program. Uh, that was the program that was created with the CARES Act back in March. Um, it rolled out with a lot of headlines in April and then had a second round of funding in, uh, in late April. And that second round of funding still has money available. How much money has your center distributed already in the county? So we've helped folks access uh, here in the county just under $100 million between the Paycheck Protection Program and the Economic Injury Disaster Loan. And overall, it's about $1 billion that has been accessed here in San Diego County. Um, and a lot of that, of course, also was done not just with our assistance, but just by the companies themselves. Now, there are so many small business programs out there that it's quite difficult for the smaller businesses to know what to apply for. And KPBS has reported that uh, businesses south of eight have received fewer loans than businesses is north of eight. Why do you think that is? Well, I think you said it in the question. It's confusing. And, you know, that's been one of our primary efforts. A large, large amount of our focus is, um, you know, is for services for minority owned businesses. We provide services in up to 15 different languages. I think that's been a huge difference. Uh, we have uh, one center that does provide services in, in Arabic, for example. And in that we're so unique with that, we've been able to serve not just people in the San Diego County, but nationally just because it's virtual. And we've seen some people say that sole proprietors, you know, owner operators don't qualify. Is that true? No, that's absolutely not true. We've helped um, hundreds of sole proprietors, self-employed individuals get the PPP loan. Um, it's based on what your, your, your 1040 Schedule C, your net profit was. So the net profit that you had for your 2019 taxes, um, you divide that by 12, you times that by two and a half, and that's your loan amount. And so as long as you showed a profit on your 2019 tax return, then you're eligible. So what are the main barriers that you're seeing to businesses getting accessing the money? You see this money sitting there. What is it that you feel is needed to get it to the right place? The main thing is to is to apply with a lender that will work with them. We've seen the nonprofit lending organizations such as like CDC Small Business Finance, uh, Lendistry, um, Opportunity Fund. Those are three very good nonprofit lenders here in California. CDC Small Business Finance is headquartered here in San Diego. They've done an amazing job uh, working with them. Uh, some other small, you know, local community banks have done that, and even some larger banks such as U.S. Bank have, have adjusted their operations to to help more more businesses be able to access it. So I think um, it took time for our banks to, to do this. The whole program rolled out in six days and banks being large conservative organizations that they are, they can't turn on a dime like that. And I think that caused a huge amount of the barriers and the confusion early on. So who do you want to reach who you think is not being reached at this point with the help? Um, in particular, very small businesses that maybe don't have access to a lot of uh, marketplaces, you know, so they may not have uh, be receiving emails, they may not be seeing the different information, but it's ones who think they tried to get the loan and were denied, turned away from their bank um, in April. Please come see us. We can help you find a lender and get a loan. That was Danny Fitzgerald, Acting Regional Director with San Diego and Imperial County's Small Business Development Center Network, speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Allison St. John. To learn more about how to apply for a Paycheck Protection Program loan before Saturday's deadline, visit www.sba.gov. And coming up on San Diego News Matters, testing for COVID-19 has been riddled with problems, but increasingly more Western states are looking at sewage to help them fill some gaps. You know, you can detect a lot of stuff in wastewater if you look. 
how utilities are using wastewater to help track outbreaks. That's next, after this break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Right now, there is no good way to predict where the next potential coronavirus outbreak will be. So far, testing is reliant on nasal swabs and, in some cases, a long wait for results. But many states in the West are looking to get a handle on the disease by diving into the sewers. Luke Runyon from KUNC in Colorado has more. Inside the wastewater treatment plant in Fort Collins, Colorado, Jason Graham opens the door to a little plastic cabinet. Oh, it's taking a sample right now. Graham is in charge of this facility. Even with our masks on, where we're standing, the air is a little ripe, but nothing overwhelming. This is the city's biggest wastewater plant, able to treat up to 23 million gallons a day. This is the end of the sewer. Yeah, this is the end of the sewer. Okay. And throughout the day, a five-gallon plastic jug in that cabinet slowly fills up with raw sewage, or the three Ps if you want to get technical. So poop, paper, and pee. Around the world, wastewater plants have become unlikely tools in the fight against COVID-19. Waste for more than 100,000 people flows into this plant every day. And by sampling it a couple times a week, scientists are able to get a sense of whether it's spreading or on the retreat. You know, you can detect a lot of stuff in wastewater if you look. And um, a lot of times people don't look, but if you look, you know, there's a lot there. Studies show people infected with the virus shed it in their stool, often days before they start showing symptoms, if they feel sick at all. You also pick up asymptomatic folks, you know, that are home, don't even know they have it, but they're shedding it in their, in their stool. This facility is one of more than a dozen in the state that will soon be regularly testing sewage for the coronavirus. It's part of an emerging partnership among wastewater districts, the state, research universities, and private biotech companies. Similar programs are already online at plants in Arizona, Utah, Nevada, and California. You know, we can get an idea of the level of infection within a community without having to swab everyone in the community. Rose Nash is a researcher at GT Molecular, which is one of the private companies working with Colorado. She says the most promising thing about this kind of testing is how it can become an early warning system. And that, you know, the hospitals can prepare for that you know, change in their ICU capacity. But there are limits to what wastewater can tell us. Susan DeLong is a civil engineering professor at Colorado State University. She's part of a team that will be testing wastewater samples from across the state. The best interpretation is going to come from trends because there is, to to date, we don't have um, an absolute correlation between the concentration in wastewater and the number of people that are sick. 
Meaning, at least for now, this testing will be almost like taking a whole city's temperature at once. From week to week, is it going up or down? Is it getting better or worse? We will be able to look at this data and say, okay, I feel good that my kids are going to go to school today. Or, you know what, there's a reason that we need, we'll need to stay home again. You know, so there is a sense of, of power with knowledge. As the program evolves, DeLong says it's possible to detect more contained outbreaks. Like you could move the sampling machine upstream of a wastewater plant and fill that plastic jug from the sewage coming from a single hospital, a college dormitory, or a neighborhood. Anything we can do to get a kind of early warning and a leg up on the problem is incredibly valuable from a public health perspective. John Putnam is a director at the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment. Especially given that the investment is relatively limited compared to individually testing tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people. But with all things COVID-19, Putnam says his department won't be jumping to conclusions early on. It's a new virus. We're barely, you know, a little over six months in. We'll know more in six months than we do now. Once the state's program is officially up and running, tests for all the participating wastewater utilities will take place twice a week over the next year. This story from Luke Runyon in Fort Collins, Colorado, it is part of an ongoing coverage of water in the western U.S., produced by public radio station KUNC in Colorado, and supported by the Walton Family Foundation Grant. Melinda Leon's debut feature film, Song Without a Name, is inspired by a child trafficking case uncovered by her journalist father, to whom she dedicates the film. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando reviews the film that is now available through Digital Gym Cinema's DGC at-home virtual ticketing. Song Without a Name is about stark contrasts between the haves and the have-nots, those with power and those without a voice and national issues versus personal tragedies. Fittingly, filmmaker Melinda Leone shoots her film in black and white to emphasize the dichotomies. She opens with newsreel images of political unrest in Peru in 1988, and then introduces us to Georgina, an indigenous woman expecting her first child. Being poor, Georgina's lured by a radio ad offering free prenatal care at a clinic. But when she goes there to deliver, her infant is stolen. The authorities refuse to help, but Georgina finds a journalist who takes up her cause. Though rooted in a very real and harsh world, the film is also luminously beautiful. Leon's film has a deep sadness at its core, yet it doesn't abandon all hope for change. It's a haunting first feature that engages more as a visual poem than conventional narrative, but it proves deeply affecting. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. San Diego News Matters is a daily morning news podcast powered by all of the reporters, editors, and producers in the KPBS newsroom. Tune in to KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or KPBS Evening Edition at 5 p.m. on KPBS Television to keep up with all the news throughout your day. 
You can also find us on Twitter at KPBS News, or to find our podcast producer, Kinsey Moreland, she's at Kinsey. I'm at Annika Colbert, and as always, you can find more KPBS podcasts like Only Here or Cinema Junkie on our website at kpbs.org slash podcasts, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.